Well, I'm glad to welcome you today to uh, Graceway Baptist Church and to our Sunday School lesson. And again, if you are watching this because you want to keep up with what your class is doing, good for you. I'm proud of you for that. And if you are a teacher that you're listening to the audio so that you can be better prepared, then I pray that it helps you and also that you're not waiting till the last minute to do this because these are the kind of things that you really need to be thinking about and they need to be in your heart as a teacher before you ever try to communicate them. Somebody said one time that if our message is simply in our mind, then it'll only reach other people's minds. But if the message is in our heart, it'll reach other people's hearts. And we want you to be able to reach the hearts of your class. And so um, I would encourage you to uh, listen to the audio in these lessons early and then be thinking about it and rereading the lesson and praying about it so that it, you, as you meditate on it, it begins to become a part of you and it becomes your message to your class rather than you just simply being like a, a parrot of uh, what I may say. We want this to be much, much deeper. And um, as you do this, I'll be praying for you and you be praying for me. We are on our last lesson for August. And so uh, we're getting the September lessons together that'll follow along with this catechism. And um, pray that they will be a blessing to you and a blessing to our church as well. That's what we always want. And of course, to the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as we understand him and his ways and our faith and belief in a better way so that we can communicate it better and live it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So our question today is, what do justification and sanctification mean? Now, um, in younger days, and I'm talking about going back decades ago, I probably would have said that I knew the answer to that. And uh, particularly, I'll just say with justification, I had been told it means justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Now, I didn't understand that, but that's what I'd been told. So that's the answer I would have give, given in justification. It means that because I'm saved, I, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Well, there's um, a little bit more to it than that. And I probably would have said at one time, sanctification, that's just uh, spiritual growth. We've got to grow up. We can't be a baby all of our lives. We've got to grow up. And that certainly is included in that. But maybe as we talk about this, it'll give us a fuller picture of this that Maybe there's more to it than we actually have thought. Here's the answer the New City Catechism gives. Justification means our declared righteousness before God made possible by Christ's death and resurrection for us. Sanctification means our gradual growing righteousness made possible by the Spirit's work in us. Now, a couple of things I would say before we go to our scripture in 1 Peter and talk about some other things, the first thing that comes to my mind is kind of understanding the why behind this. And um, it helped me years ago to read this and to get it stuck in my mind. Justification is when God sets me free from the penalty of sin. 
In other words, because I'm justified or declared not guilty because I have the righteousness of Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection, that means that I no longer have to fear hell, not in any way, shape, or form, not at all, forever. That is taken away from because justification frees me from, you ready? The penalty of sin. Justification frees me from the penalty of sin. So you might want to write that down. Now, secondly, sanctification, my growth in grace, my spiritual growth. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, and it frees me from the power of sin. So let me say that again. Justification frees me from the penalty of sin. Sanctification frees me from the power of sin. And so things that used to trip me up shouldn't trip me up now. Things that used to have a hold of me shouldn't have a hold of me now. And things that do have a hold of me now will not have a hold of me in the future because of sanctification. Sanctification frees me from the power of sin. Well, then there's that third aspect that we're not really talking about in this lesson, but nonetheless, we'll give it to you anyway. Glorification is the third aspect, and it frees me from the presence of sin. Glorification frees me from the presence of sin. See how this works? When God redeems me, he declares me not guilty and I'm free from sin's penalty or hell. Then the work of God in my life is to free me from the power of sin day by day. And one of these days when through death or through the coming of Christ, I'm going to go to heaven and I will be free from the very presence of sin. I'm not going to be around sinners because there won't be any sin in heaven. Not going to be around the devil or his demons. They're not going to be there. I'm going to be freed from the very presence of sin. And what a great day that will be. So that's number one. That's, that helped me to understand it a little bit more. The other thing is, I thought, I guess in the back of my mind, I might have denied this if you ask me, but in the back of my mind, it's like salvation had to be done by God. I understood that. And I understood that unless God called me to salvation, I never would come. Unless he did a work, a transforming life of regeneration, I would never be saved. I, I, I knew that. It's by God and it's by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I knew that. But I didn't understand that my sanctification is the same way. I think I always thought that God will do the saving and then now I've got to work real hard for the sanctification part. And um, it was really liberating to find out that sanctification, as they say here, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. See, I thought it was the work of me. I thought it was something that I had to do. If I'm going to be sanctified, you know, I've got to read my Bible every day. Well, I do recommend that. I thought if I was going to be sanctified, I had to quit hanging around with certain people. Well, you may have to do that. I thought if I was going to be sanctified, then there were certain sins I had to just get rid of out of my life. I had to make sure they were put to death and all of that. Well, that is going to happen in sanctification. It's just not going to happen by you. This is a work of God, a work of grace, and we've got to trust God and we have got to walk with him in order to be sanctified. He's the one who does the work. It's the fruit-bearing stage of our life. If you think back to John 15, 
where Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and the Father is the gardener, and he's the one that comes and trims off the unproductive branches so that the productive branches can bear more fruit and, and all of that. Notice in that passage about bearing fruit, what does the tree do? Well, really, just being in union with the vine is all the tree does. Abiding in Christ is what the scripture says. And that's really what we do. We abide in the Lord and he produces the fruit through us. We don't have to strain to do it. You've never walked into an orchard and seen a lot of trees going, oh, have you? Uh, it's a natural thing to bear fruit. And in the Christian life, it's a natural thing to grow. You uh, watch little kids. I've got some little bitty grandchildren. And um, it's amazing with every one of them, with every one of them, they get to a certain point and they have to try something. Uh, little bitty Lottie is kind of rolling over now. And nobody taught her how to do that. Nobody talked to her about it. She couldn't understand you even if you did talk to her about it or explain it. She wouldn't understand it. But for some reason, they get to a point and they just want to move. And later it'll be crawling and then it'll be standing with Olivia. She's old enough now to where she's walking. And did she get help and encouragement to walk? Yeah. But the first step she took or at least tried to take, it was something that was innate in her. It was instinctive in her because she's growing. And uh, now when we'll FaceTime with her, I mean, she was really chatty and Sammy and I didn't understand a thing she said and neither did anyone else. But there's something instinctive about a little baby finding their voice and using their voice and kind of being a chatterbox with a bunch of babbling until they start saying words. And then they notice that when they say mama, everybody gets excited and mama comes running to her. So she puts it in her brain. I need to remember that. Need to say that more. And then on and on it goes, you know, bye-bye and all of that. Um, and then they start putting sentences together and you encourage them. And then they get to be about three and you tell them to shut up. And uh, we're kind of funny about that, aren't we? Talk, talk, talk. Oh, isn't that sweet? Will you quit talking so much? But uh, how does that happen and how do children grow? Yes, there are things that parents do to encourage that. We feed them and we clothe them and we model things for them and all of that. But really, it's something that uh, they don't even necessarily choose to do. They don't even know what they are doing. You don't find a, the difference between a five-year-old and an eight-year-old and uh, you go, wow, between five and eight, you grew I don't know, I'll just pull it out of the air, three inches. Well, that wasn't really on their mind. What were they doing in that time they grew through inches, three inches? Well, they were eating and they were sleeping and they were playing and all of that type of thing and maybe going to school. But the growth was something that they really had nothing to do with. Jesus even told us that who of you can add one cubit to his stature? We, we really can't do that. And I use all of that to say, Spiritual growth is the same way. I thought it was all up to me. Now, I can cooperate with the Lord and with my sanctification, or I can fight against it. I can be interested in it, or I can be apathetic toward it. But uh, Jesus said it's going to happen, 
as we abide in the vine, we're going to bear fruit if we're truly born again, and that the Father is glorified that we bear much fruit. And so the work of sanctification is to take me from where I am today, where you are today, and the limitations that are on our life, and the lack of fruitfulness in our life, and through His love, through His presence, through His power, through His grace, and also through His discipline. Let's not leave that out. He takes us from where we are now to where He wants us to be. And that is um, certainly His work. He who hath begun a good work in you shall complete it, the Bible says, in the day of Christ Jesus. So we never want to forget that. So those are two things, kind of learning what they were, and then learning that it was God who was going to do that. It's all of God, every bit of it. So I need to be praying about that and need to be um, submissive to what he is doing in my life. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, to those who are elect exiles, and then it skips on down, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for a sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, the reason that they uh, wanted this scripture down here and they wrote it the way that they did, to the elect exiles. Now, that speaks of the justification thing. The elect are going to be justified. And that happens at a moment in time. It's an instantaneous thing. You go from being not justified to being justified completely at the moment of salvation, the moment that you are born again. But notice that he says that uh, this happens according to the foreknowledge of God, the God who knows you intimately and the God who knew you before you were ever born, not just simply an intellectual knowledge, but an intimate knowledge. You think about um, in the Old Testament where it says, and Adam knew his wife and she bore a son. Well, we're adults. We know what that's talking about, right? It wasn't all of a sudden Adam walked up and said, Hi, my name's Adam. What's yours? And they shook hands and then they uh, had a baby. Of course not. It's talking about sexual knowledge, intimate knowledge. Well, when the Bible talks about God knowing us and his foreknowledge toward us, it's talking about intimate, personal knowledge. Okay? And uh, so he saved us according to his foreknowledge, and then notice it says the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, the Spirit doesn't need to be sanctified. Don't misread that. The Spirit doesn't need to be sanctified. I remember a long time ago, I was still in my early 20s, when uh, Papa Sam came to our church to do a Sunday school teachers conference. And he said, number one, if you're a Sunday school teacher and you're not winning souls to Christ, you ought to resign. He said, secondly, if you are a Sunday school teacher and you're not working for your class to grow, you ought to resign because you're worthless. The way to win friends and influence people, right? And he said, and thirdly, if you think that you are simply to come and show up and teach the Bible, he goes, you're not at all because the Bible doesn't need to learn anything. He said, you are here to teach people the Bible. And if you don't have any people to teach, you failed in your mission. So those things kind of stuck in my mind. Well, that kind of 
the way he was thinking there kind of uh, pops up in this verse. Sanctification of the Spirit. Well, the Spirit doesn't need to be sanctified. What is Peter saying? Sanctification of the Spirit, or we could also say by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, lives in me and in you to make us holy. That's literally what sanctification is. The root word of it is hagios, which means holy, set apart. And so the Spirit of God is doing that. And he does it through my trials. He does it through my disappointments. He does it through attacks. He does it through hurts. He does it through blessings and providing. He does it through his word. All kinds of things are teaching me to trust Christ and to walk with him and to be sanctified, to be holy. And so um, it's not of us. It is of him. And what's going to be the result for obedience to Jesus Christ? Now, if you're not obedient to the Lord, then you're not being sanctified or can't claim sanctification in that. You're maybe under chastisement and under discipline, but sanctification leads to obedience, doesn't it? And for the sprinkling with his blood, you never outgrow your need for the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is not just something that saves me and then I can leave it behind. I need it every day. I need the gospel every single day. I think I've said this before, that another one of my mistakes of the past is I thought the gospel was baby food. And once I got saved and mature, I didn't need the gospel anymore. I'm moving on to the important stuff. Hey, folks, there's nothing more important to the Christian than the gospel and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need that every single day of our life. We apply the gospel to our lives, remembering what Christ has done for us, remembering our nature to sin and our propensity to sin. And we also need it as we look at other people because we see other people, even when they wrong us, we see it through the eyes of the cross and we say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And we look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. The sprinkling of the blood for everything we do. And grace and peace, Peter said, may it be multiplied to you. You've tasted it, but you're going to get even more as time goes on. It's multiplied, multiplied to you. Now, when we think about justification... Let's uh, remember, number one, that justification is instantaneous, that we are declared righteous, kind of like a judge banging the gavel down and saying, not guilty, not guilty. Well, that's good news if you're the defendant, not guilty. You get to leave. You get to go on and live your life. Well, in the same way, that's the term that's used for justification, it's a, a legal judicial term. And that was when God the Father said simply, you are not guilty, just as if I'd never sinned. In the past, in the present, or in the future, God sees me through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we're declared righteous, and it's not based upon our performance, because if that were the case, we'd never, ever, ever get there. Remember, sin is not just what you do, it's also what you don't do that you should have done, right? And it's also, Jesus tied it to the thoughts and motives of the heart. If you look upon a woman to lust, you've committed adultery. I mean, we can't win in this thing of sin apart from Jesus Christ. So it's not performance-based, or is it? Or is it? 
Maybe it's more accurate to say it's not based on my performance, but it is based upon the performance of works. I heard a guy that kind of got my attention one time when he was preaching. He said, yes, you are saved by works, just not yours. It's the work of Christ on the cross that saved you. And uh, that kind of jolted me a little bit. But it's Christ's performance. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 3 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Some translations say, God forbid. In the Greek, it's the strongest force that Paul can use of saying, No way, no way. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Do you remember the old song that says, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Remember that? You know what the answer is? Yes, I was. I died with him. Now, I don't know how that works. I don't know how that takes place. But I died with Christ. And the moment that I surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and trusted him as the full payment for my sins, I was declared not guilty. And somehow I was taken back to the cross to where I died with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm baptized with him and raised to walk into new, in newness of life. I'm a new creature. You're a new creature. We have new life. We have new power. We have a new relationship with God. And that is we are freed from guilt. And that took place in a moment in time in an instant. And that's one of the things where we uh, disagree with Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism thinks that justification is not a one-time event, but it is a process. And you're being justified as you not only trust and confess Christ, but as you go through the sacraments of the church and as you take communion, which they believe is the actual body and blood of Christ that is continually justifying you. And even after you die, when you've got still a little bit of sin to burn off and you go to purgatory, you're not really justified until you get rid of all of it. And then you get, and only then, you get to go to heaven. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's a huge, huge theological difference. So justification is instantaneous. Number two, sanctification is the result. Now, don't get this out of order. Remember the old hymn, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. The writer of that hymn was saying, I don't have anything to commend myself to God or any reason to think that God would hear me except for the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, amen to that, right? And then he adds on to that, and I'm coming by your invitation. You are bidding me to come to you. Well, the Bible is very clear. No one can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him, right? And that's the Father saying, come. And that irresistible grace where we are drawn to the Lord by cords of love to come to trust Christ with that faith that the Holy Spirit gives us. This is all of God, all of God and not of us. So important to understand that. And then what happens once we come to the Lord? Well, that, that song says, just as I am. 
just as I am. Well, that's important because some people want to try to clean up their life and they say, well, I'll get saved when I quit drinking. Well, I'll get saved when I quit looking at pornography. Well, I'll get saved whenever I get A, B, and C straightened out in my life. Then I'll feel worthy to come. Well, you're never going to make that worthiness, folks. And God does not call us to get our lives cleaned up before we come to him. We come to him just as we are. What is happening when people have that in mind? They're trying to be sanctified before they're justified. It doesn't work that way. That's the caboose trying to pull the train up the hill. It can't do it. We have to be justified as salvation. That's when we're born again. And then sanctification is the result. You plant the seed in the ground, and then the seed starts to grow. But the seed doesn't grow until you plant it. And sanctification doesn't happen until the justification takes place. It's the natural result. And so we're changed when we are justified. All things become new, right? I just listed several of them. And then we began to change uh, in our lives. And we have a driving desire to please Him. Now, sometimes that desire, granted, is stronger than it is at other times. And when I sin, I'm totally selfish and I just want to please myself. But through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and when I repent of that sin and trust in the death of Christ for that forgiveness, that's part of that desire to please Him. A Christian cannot go without confessing their sin and getting that right. The Spirit of God is going to reveal that in time. And so we have a driving desire, a motivation to obey Him and to please Him and to be like Him. And we're compelled and we're disciplined by His love. Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12 that the discipline of God is because He loves us. And He loves us just as we are. He's just not going to let us stay that way. We've got to grow. And only the justified can be sanctified. We've already kind of made that point. And only those who are being sanctified are truly justified. Let me make that again. Only those who are being sanctified are truly justified. God's not going to leave you alone just to say, oh, you're saved, nothing else matters after that, see you in heaven. A lot of people would like it that way, but it doesn't work that way. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Now, water baptism pictures that, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about spirit baptism. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. And that's what sanctification does. It's the newness of life. It's that little baby when they pull up on the coffee table and it's a whole new world when you're standing up vertical and you're not horizontal anymore. And then they take that first step and they may fall, but there's something in them that says, that was awesome. I want to do that again. And they may cry a little bit, but eventually they'll get up and they'll take another step. Then they're taking two steps and then three steps. And then they're walking to mama or daddy and everybody's clapping for them. And that's really cool. And the next thing you know, they're running all through the house, aren't they? Newness of life. When I got saved, it opened up newness of life. 
where I had an opportunity to be right with God. I'd never been right with God before. I had the opportunity at that moment to be cleansed of my sin. I'd never been cleansed of that sin before. And I still stumble and fall and you still stumble and fall. But you know what? I like it when I'm right with God a whole lot better than I do when I'm under his discipline. It's a whole newness of life. Number three, justification is a union with Christ. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And notice the scripture says we died with him. We were there when he was crucified. We died with him. We were buried with him, but I'm glad it doesn't stop there. We were also raised with him. You and I have resurrection power. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That's an amazing thing. There's no excuse to sin. There's no excuse to not be what God wants you to be and is calling you to be because you have unlimited power, the power of God living in you problem is we don't access it. But nonetheless, we are forever, the Bible says, in Christ. You know, in the book of Ephesians alone, Paul uses the term in Christ or in the Lord or something similar over 40 times. That book's not that long. That's a lot of time. What do you think he wants you to know that you were in Christ? But he also tells the Colossian believers, Christ in you is a hope of glory. Folks, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. If you're saved, you're in Christ and Christ is in you. We can't lose. This is a win-win situation, isn't it? My outsides are taken care of because I'm in Christ and my insides are taken care of because Christ is in me and this is forever. And so we have new life. And it's not just a continuation of our old life. It's eternal life and only God is eternal. So what did I get when I got eternal life? I got the life of God. That's an amazing and wonderful thing. Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Notice how he ties those things together. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. The Greek word there means unemployed, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Oh, when I got born again, I got a new master and so do you. And the old man may come back and try to exert authority over me. The devil may come back waving all kinds of legal looking documents, but they are null and void. I got a new life and I got a new master and uh, now that's what I need to do is to serve him. And number four, justification is a transfer. Uh, This transfer motif is throughout the doctrine of salvation. Our sin was placed on Jesus at the cross, transferred from me to him. And his righteousness is given to us at salvation, transferred from him to me. I don't feel it doesn't always look like it, but it is on the books in heaven that if God the Father were to somehow open up the books and examine my life, he would see nothing but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it is a divine and eternal, not guilty verdict. And it's all by grace through faith alone. 
You see, Paul tells us that when we were saved, that we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, and into the kingdom of light. In other words, we're transferred out of Satan's kingdom and into God's kingdom. And a lot of transferring going on whenever you got saved. And that's why you can be what God wants you to be. You can walk in his will. You can walk in his power. You can overcome sin. You can grow in grace and knowledge. You can be fruitful in him. All of these things can happen in spite of your introverted personality, in spite of your lack of talent, even though you may see yourself as as not having enough intellect and all of that. Listen, that doesn't matter. You have Christ living in you and there's a divine transference that has taken place and it's all by grace and it's all through faith. Romans chapter 6 verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That would be you as a Christian. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he dies no more. It's over for him. Death no longer has dominion over him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves or consider yourselves, in other words, think like it and act like it, yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's our problem. We still think we're the old Greg. We still think, oh, that's just what I am. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You're not just anything. You are the child of God, the purchased possession of God. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we could go on and on and on with that. And you need to start thinking about who you are in Christ instead of who you were in the kingdom of darkness. You're a new creature in Christ. And number five, sanctification takes time. Now, it's a process, and it displays our growth. Where there's no growth, there's no life. Read John chapter 15. What happens to the branches that have no life in them? They're cut off and thrown into the fire. And this is something that never stops. It continues until we're called home, until we're glorified. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore... Now, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to go back and see what it's there for. It's tying us back to what we've just read, these verses in this lesson, the other paragraphs uh, of Scripture. So therefore, because of all of this, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you are not under law, but under grace. And grace really is amazing, and that's what sets you free from sin. So any exhortation would apply Uh, would simply be, please don't get these backward. The whole world gets it all backward. Other religions get it all backward, where our works and our efforts 
to overcome imperfections might make us pleasing to God. You can never get there that way. God reckons us as acceptable and makes us his children, counts us as righteous, and because of that righteousness, we then spend a lifetime becoming what we already are. And that's a quote from John Piper. So think about that, and may the Lord bless you as you teach and as you minister, as you catch up with your class. But may it go farther than that. May it open up your eyes to let you see that God did a great and wonderful and powerful thing when he saved you and deposited his life in you, placed his spirit within you and made you spiritually alive and led you down the path that Ephesians 2.10 says was predestined for you, the good works you're supposed to do. They may not match everybody else's work and your ministry may be different, but nonetheless, it's the ministry God has given for you to walk in for the rest of your life and be fruitful in every good work. So may the Lord bless you to open your eyes and to fill your heart with truth, liberating truth, and to walk in that in the power of the Holy Spirit. So once again, thank you and God bless you.